0: For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, meet a who travels to California every year for what he calls a life changing event. The 8990 trip heads into Montana as Larry and Lisa continue their father-daughter journey north. And listen to music from singer-songwriter Gabrielle Pietrangelo in a new Spotlight session. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. On New Year's Day 2020, you may be one of millions of people who will watch the annual Rose Parade from Pasadena, California. Among the hundreds of thousands who attend in person will be Tucson resident and artist Bob DeArmond. But he won't be a spectator. For almost 50 years, DeArmond has been working on floats for the parade, a task he finds fulfilling both artistically and personally, as Tony Paniagua found out. Bob Diarmid,
1: thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. How did you discover the Rose Parade?
2: Uh, I grew up about eighty miles north of Los Angeles, and when I moved there at a young age, I uh, didn't know anyone. Saw so I thing in the, our local newspaper to help out with the city's float, and thought that would be a great way to meet people.
1: And what were your responsibilities when you first joined them as a volunteer?
2: As a volunteer, uh, you just hopped on a bus, and we went out to Pasadena, and there was a director there, and. They would ask you from gluing seeds to put, putting in vials with roses, whatever was necessary. Everything on the float and every inch of it has to be covered with a living organic material such as seeds, weeds, grasses, all the way up to the flowers and orchids and exotic plants that go on it.
1: So no fake products, no plastic, no paper, anything like that? No,
2: no cans of spray paint or anything. You have to create the color that nature gave you. Some of the floats, you won't notice it, but say there's a big bullfrog on it, and if you come up closer, it's completely covered with individual split peas that are put one by one with tweezers on, and it's pretty amazing to see how the minute detail up close. Blues are a problem because most flower coverings are, tend to be more towards the purple side than the really true blue. So um, that's probably the most difficult of the colors to, to obtain.
1: So you started as a volunteer more than 40 years ago. What kept you going? Why did you, at the end of the first year, for example, say, you know what, I like this, I'm going to do it again?
2: Well, the first years it was exciting being an artist to create something so beautiful and everything. And uh, my mother's birthday was on January 1st, so it gave me an opportunity to kind of brag and say that I gave my mother the largest floral bouquet that any son's given to mother.
1: And what would she say about that?
2: She was very tickled by it, <laughs> so... and supported me through all this time of doing it. So When I first started, there was over 60-plus floats, and TV came along, and if you're a corporate sponsor and your float was farther in the parade, you didn't make the cut on TV, so they had to cut the floats down so everybody got a shot at being on television.
1: So what has kept you going? Even when you moved to Tucson in 2003, you keep returning to California to work on these floats.
2: For me, it's changed now. It's um, I have some... People who have worked for me for over three decades, their children are now working for me, and so it's become like a family reunion. Once a year we get together and catch up on what's going on between everybody's lives while we're decorating the float.
1: You have a situation, for example, where you hadn't seen somebody for several decades.
2: Yes, David and his sister, when I was young and one of my first floats I was in charge of, they were in high school, in their teens, and two years ago, I was working and got tapped on the shoulder, and there was David, and he's now 50 years old with teenage sons of his own. (laughs) So time sort of hits you between the eyes in that case.
1: And we were speaking ahead of this interview about how when people watch this parade on television or see it in person, they see the beauty, they see the glamour, they see all of the bright colors, but there's a lot of work that goes into this.
2: Oh my goodness. Well, for myself personally, I, I start the day after Christmas, and I put in five days and it's a minimum of about 96 hours uh, from seven in the morning till midnight and on the thirtieth we start at seven in the morning I work all through the day through the night until the next morning of the 31st until the float is finished so it's it's a grueling schedule how long will
1: you continue being a volunteer or a consultant a hired hand for this parade?
2: I'm hoping four more years will be 50 and it'll be a kind of a milestone to reach, but we'll see what happens in the next four years.
0: Okay, thank you very much.
1: You're
2: welcome.
0: On our website, you can find an Arizona Illustrated television story about Bob Diarman's trajectory as a ceramic artist. If you want to look for DiArman's project during the Rose Parade on New Year's Day, he's working on a float for Chipotle Mexican Grill in salute to the nation's farmers. It will include a tractor, fruit trees, and farm animals, all made from natural materials. So far in the 89-90 trip, we've followed Lisa Schnebley Heidinger and her father Larry Schnebley from Prescott, Arizona to Points North. Before he retired in 1994, Larry was a well-known radio and TV broadcaster. His grandparents pioneered the area that is now Sedona, which was his grandmother's name. At his 90th birthday, Larry said the only thing on his bucket list was to travel up U.S. Route 89 to the Canadian border, revisiting many places he has known since childhood along the way. This father-daughter journey would take the Schnebleys' more than 3,000 miles round trip. For Larry, that includes almost 90 years of memories.
3: U.S. 89-90 trip, Day 5, Dateline, Montana.
4: One of the benefits to being here is getting to unequivocally state that while Montana can call itself Big Sky Country, they're no bigger than Arizona skies. You can see from horizon to horizon, just like many places at home. But we'd never seen the Canadian Rockies before.
3: The mountains in which Glacier National Park is located are part of the Canadian Rockies, and they're connected to the mountain chain that runs down the western part of the United States, Canadian Rockies, American Rockies, and then through Mexico into South America, and they, where they become part of the Cordilleran chain of mountains and the Andes.
4: What did Kipling, Rud, Rudyard Kipling say about him?
3: Rudyard was aware that the, that God had practiced on the Swiss mountains, and then worked further on the American Rockies and then perfected mountain building when he made the Canadian Rockies, so Rudyard Kipling said.
4: I love that. Oh, and what was your grandfather's line about him?
3: Oh, do you like Kipling? I don't know, I've never kippled.
4: <laughs> and I misspoke, not your grandfather, your father. Yeah. And he got away with that little bit of broad humor because it was sufficiently literary for a school teacher?
3: Yes, I'm sure that that was part of the excuse behind his using that pun. <laughs>
4: There's a great statue honoring mountain men with a plaque I like even better because it honors, quote, the mountain men, weathered and wind-bitten, adventurous explorers who led America deep into new regions of the Rockies and beyond. We're taking a detour off US-89 to see Butte and an old friend who lives there. David McCumber was city editor at the Arizona Daily Star in the early 80s. And after working on both coasts, and writing a book about the year he spent as a cowboy in montana he's now editor of the montana standard in butte he recommended we stay at the historic miners hotel and asked to stay in the vault room which really is in the old vault in what used to be a bank
2: the infrastructure all the great old buildings that were built 100 years ago are still for a, for a city of 100,000 is still here but there are only 35,000 of us rattling around in it.
4: It's very neat, and after we check in, he meets us for dinner at a restaurant, which also has an old vault, used now as a wine cellar.
2: It's a post-industrial town that is still industrial. It started out as a a great mining boom town, one of the largest mining boom towns in, in the country. It's, I suppose, a cliche, but I refer to Montana as a small town with long streets, There are only about a million people in this whole huge state, and uh, they're, they're spread out. There are more cattle than people, and we like it that way.
4: Sleeping in a former bank vault is not at all creepy or claustrophobic. In the morning, we have breakfast in a charming basement cafe, and the sports bar upstairs has, wait for it, a third old bank vault. I'll be sorry to leave Butte, but the Canadian border beckons.
0: The 8990 trip will conclude on January 2nd as Larry and Lisa reach their destination on the Canadian border. You can follow the entire journey by reading Lisa Schneble Heidinger's travel diary with photos on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Gabrielle Pietrangelo says that for her, This weekend's winter solstice represents the return of the light. She chose Saturday, December 21st as the date to release her new collection of seven songs called On My Way Back Home. This is Pietrangelo's first solo release since 1999, inspired by a journey of personal healing that she undertook last summer. We'll hear more from Gabrielle Pietrangelo next in this Spotlight Session.
5: I see you through the glass and I look into your eyes But you won't hear my words Cause the stories in your mind hold you captive in a time In the truth of where you've been. And all the darkness in the well And the secrets in the shadows
0: The surface, there seems to be fragility in that tune, like the, mm-hmm. the melody is so gentle, but there's also a real architectural strength to what you're playing on guitar. Mm-hmm. Do you think of your music like that? Does it ever seem structural to you and how you want to build a song?
6: Um, I know there's all kinds of songwriting, and I have looked at it more intellectually in certain settings, especially when I'm arranging something. But in the particular case of the songs on this album, it was really more like a feeling in my body like a felt sense that then was turned into a song so I didn't really intellectualize it a whole lot it was it was like yes that captures it you know you could feel it when you as your fingers are going and the words are coming out it's like oh yeah we've hit we've struck a chord
0: (laughs) (laughs) right how often has it been that you might have written a song and realized that you were writing to yourself
6: that's so profound that you asked me that because actually when I was just playing that song, I had an insight about that, about how the refrain, the light it comes, the light it grows. I thought it was about the person that the song was regarding, the relationship involved. But I realized really what it was is about shadows within myself, you know, that were being illuminated. So good question. Yes, that happens all the time.
0: What's the next song that you're going to play for us? And what is the next step of the journey that it's going to take us on?
6: Well, I'm, I'm actually gonna play a song that is a love song to Taos, New Mexico. About half of the songs I wrote on this EP were written in Taos this summer. Every song was written in either Southern Arizona or Northern New Mexico in nature. So there's a healing element there, yeah. This is called Rise Again and it's a love song for Taos, New Mexico.
0: was something very taos new mexico about that melody that the, yeah. there's that guitar break where you just kind yeah,
6: of yeah very taos big old sagebrush uh mesa with these blue purple mountains all around that place is magical there's a healing force in the land there i think for uh-huh. sure for me
0: well, when we talk about On My Way Back Home, I f- yeah. get the feeling from you that you are very satisfied with it as it is. Seven songs, a yeah. journey. Yeah. And I just wonder, was that an easy choice for you to make, that this is the yeah. frame, this is what's in it?
6: Literally, those seven songs were written during the summer when I did a healing retreat and was kind of recovering from a very traumatic experience in my life. And... um I decided it was gonna be what it was. It wasn't necessarily with the goal of being marketable. You know, it was a piece of art. So I just put my all into it and I said, well, these seven songs are what came through and that's what it's gonna be.
0: Gabrielle, I'd like to know about the next song now and where are we going?
6: Okay. So this next song is the title track of the CD. It's called On My Way Back Home and I wrote it actually on my last night in New Mexico camping in a canyon in southern New Mexico on my way back to Tucson and this song came through it really marked you know like a breakthrough of like okay I'm gonna be alright friends so I love sharing it
5: dry riverbed bed crickets sing I'm on my way back home again I'm on my way back home the trees never look strong
0: People say when you suffer for art, that that suffering heals, that Ah. that's unique among all suffering. Only suffering for your art actually heals. (laughs) I love it. What's your reaction to that?
6: I think personally, by putting into words and almost prayers, you know, music is a form of medicine. You know, Um, I think I've healed faster and come through something that, you know, we all go through those times where something happens in your life and you're like, okay, this is a big one by putting all that experience into songs, I think I've healed a lot faster from my experience than I would have otherwise.
0: Trangelo and her guest musicians will celebrate the release of On My Way Back Home with two shows this Saturday at Club Congress in downtown Tucson at 6.30 and 8.30 p.m. There's a link for information on the Arizona Spotlight page, where you can also listen to the songs featured in this Spotlight session. The music was recorded and mixed by Jim Blackwood in the AZPM radio studio. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's interim news director is Duncan Moon. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.
4: Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.